So, welcome to the first episode of the Ecumen, where we're here to talk to you about Catholicism and teach you all the stuff that uh, you didn't hear in school, you didn't hear it in RCA class, you probably didn't hear it from your priests, unless you were very fortunate these days. If you're a convert to the faith, depending on how you came in, we have no idea what kind of information you were given. So, we're going to go try and break all those down for you, looking through the Baltimore Catechism and trying to do uh, some refutations here up the road of uh, some interesting theology that's out there that is not Catholic at all. So uh, we got Pete and Brian and Jake here, all to talk to you today uh, about what it means to be Catholic, so and kind of where we came from. And also we're going to look at why are we calling ourselves the ecumen. People may sit there and say that it's all about making sure that we're all together and we're all believing the same things, but really, uh, no. It's actually about sharing the universal faith and universal church. Ecumenical is talking about universality, so it's from Latin, uh, but basically talking about those who inhabit the earth. So it's a faith of all people, and <laughs> we're not here to, to tell everyone that they're right. In the end, we're looking at what is right from a Catholic standpoint. So, Brian, what do you got on that? It's supremely weird to be on this side of a podcast, Pete. i got to tell you that right now. But the, I, I think the true intent of all this is to kind of get through the noise, get through the garbage that's been peddled uh, as Catholicism for at least the last four or five decades. When I came into the church uh, in 2007, I came in completely trusting that my research was correct, and, and I, I was looking to find kind of what I discovered through through kind of a rigorous, I guess, um, self-driven academic and uh, more of a more of like a history nerd type pursuit. And what I ended up finding was something I didn't expect, which was was the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it did not start out that way; it's just where the facts led me. And when I got to a point where it was just, I had to convert, I, I had to. There was compelled because truth demands that you make a choice at some point. And then I went and you know, pursued my local parish like all good people do and went to RCIA. And what they presented wasn't really what I had kind of found on my own. But I, I went through it and I went through the program. And at the end of it, it was just, uh, I was left with a, a big bag of tepidity and just kind of, failed to find what I had originally discovered uh, through a few years, kind of muddling through it. And as I traveled, I noticed every parish was a little bit different. Uh, some were more or less nominally the same. Some were wildly off in the spectrum. And uh, that kind of instigated a second pursuit of what happened. You know, what did I miss? What, maybe I made a mistake. I kind of went back through the notes. And, and what I discovered was a, was a split in time in 1965 in the council. And with that, I started to, you know, re-examine the stuff I was taught. For example, uh, things like we don't do the rosary anymore since the Second Vatican Council. Or so they say. Or so they say. And I took that as gospel truth because these people were in charge. They were the authorities to teach me and to bring me in and to uh, and kind of initiate me, so to speak, into this world of Catholicism, which is very mysterious from the outside. And things like, you know, the simple concepts of mortal sin, especially sins against the Sixth and Ninth Commandments, never once addressed. Uh, in any of my formal, so-called formal education in Catholicism. So as I rediscovered these things, I was, I was pretty irritated, pretty angry at one point, and then uh, kind of became more of a, a self-defensive kind of posture where, you know, you're starting to snatch up all these materials and starting to get a better understanding of the world. And, and unfortunately, it leads to, uh, I think, a climate of distrust, especially, which, which you can see today, uh, as far as the, the hyperbolic stances some of these people take on both sides. But you end up with um, uh, two two encampments eventually. And what I think we're trying to do here is kind of bridge the gap and 
and show you where, especially from my point of view, kind of where I was fooled initially, uh, things that weren't presented clearly, not for the, I don't, I don't think for any like devious, you know, elements that have been, you know, involved in my circles or my orbits. But I think good intentioned, well-meaning people just didn't know better because it's been watered down for so long. And if we are the truth, if we do hold the truth, if Christ taught the truth and the apostles carried it forward and every bishop and martyr since has died for it and, and taught and baptized and so forth down the line, uh, how could it possibly be compared to the, uh, the garbage you're getting down the street from any of the, the tens of thousands of Protestant uh, churches, most of which are probably well-meaning, but also um, complete failed theologies. But also with the, uh, as far as the, the weird ecumenical stuff going on, as far as uh, pagan peoples, Islam, and, and whatnot, um, we have to cut through. And especially for simple working guys that are trying to raise their families, live their lives, and honestly shouldn't have the time to be compelled toward this sort of thing. I think that's what we're trying to offer is uh, let's help you cut the corners. Let's get back to the purity of the faith and, and what Catholic men are supposed to be. Yeah, it's really hard to navigate these days. And I think in terms of your background, it's quite similar to Jake's in terms of where he came from as well. Yeah, so I was born, I was, uh, I was technically, I was, I was baptized Protestant, a Methodist, I believe, but very soon in my childhood, very early on, around five years old or so, my parents began going through RCIA because the neighborhood, the area that I was from had a lot of Catholic grade schools, very large Catholic community. My dad, even though he's a Protestant, had gone to a Catholic high school that he was very intent on sending all his sons to. So I guess my parents made the decision one way, one reason or another to, to go through it. So for all intents and purposes, uh, pretty much ever since I was at the age of reason, I've been Catholic. However, you know, as Brian already mentioned, it was, it's in that whole, whatever term you want to use, you know, a lot of traditionalists like the post-conciliatory church. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a very, the church of nice, both in my grade school and in my high school. And I just didn't know a whole lot. And that really led to, although I would go to a church and I, I stuck with going to mass pretty regularly through college. Ultimately, by the time I, I graduated college, I wasn't going to attending mass regularly. You know, when I got out, uh, my various jobs, I was living that hedonist, essentially, lifestyle. And, you know, yeah, it just didn't feel right. And when I was start talking with your uh, story, Pete, you were kind of the one that kind of turned me back on to the whole idea of something went wrong in the past few decades. And our conversations enlightened me a lot more about the true history of the church the true teachings of the church. Um, and I was kind of drawn to it again, kind of almost like Brian was saying as a history nerd, because the more and more and more you dig and read and, and all of a sudden more and more things are making sense. There's less coincidence that, you know, that you can't, you can see there, you see the, the divine will at work. And, but I also like the idea that it's, it's very rigorous. It is demanding. The faith is not something that you just kind of are a part of, you know, you reach the promised land, uh, and you just kind of coast to the until you uh, pass away. It's uh, it's very hard work, day in day out. And but I, I like that. I like the idea of of uh, being held accountable. So that's kind of where I'm at in my faith journey. Is just the whole the whole concept that that right now you look around. There's just something that sticks out to us. That this whole idea that not everybody can be right. We're told that, and whether it's secular outlets or whatever it is, is is that, you know, 
you have your truth, I have mine, and never the two shall meet. And, and that just doesn't, I think everybody realizes on some level, whether or not they want to admit it, I don't know, but everybody realizes that that can't be true. And here's the Catholic Church, the sole holder of the truth that is screaming out to people to come and, and learn. And uh, yeah, I just, I just immediately, in the past, I'd say probably two years now, I guess, been really drawn to getting back into my faith. Yeah, and I, th- I think that opens up another uh, topic to hit before I uh, go into my background. But uh, everyone says Catholic a lot. And when I was coming into the church, and I'm assuming it's similar for you guys, that you talk about Catholic and you have an idea of what you've seen on TV and you see a pope and, and you always see these mobster movies and they get to go into confessional and they sit there and they cross themselves and they do all this stuff and they're like, yeah, whatever. And all the Catholics I happen to know are uh not exactly the greatest moral examples um, by any stretch. So whether they're cheating on their wives or all the other weirdness that I was able to observe in my past, um, I thought the whole thing was a complete sham. And in the end, when we're talking about Catholic and we're saying, well, it's universal and we're not talking any caveats, it's universal. We're talking no particular nation owns it. So we're not talking the Anglicans or the Russian Orthodox or just keep naming every country that has their own flavor of it. And we're not talking about a particular culture that it's locked in on. There's no particular race or origin of these people in terms of some geographic uh, you know, place where they came out of. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have, all this other stuff. But when we talk about Catholic Church, it's universal. And the, the weird thing is then is then you start reading about what's being taught and kind of where you guys are coming from is we have these priests and other teachers and theologians, if we'll call them that, who are trying to act like universal means you accept everything no matter what. And it's really odd. And it's really difficult to try to overcome all of that nonsense in the modern era. And fortunately, getting started off in terms of where I came from, trying to understand what it means to be Catholic and then knowing what Christ and what the church fathers are talking about when they say Catholic, totally different than this weird modernist notion of everybody can do whatever they want and they'll all be fine and God's okay. And that's what kind of started to turn me into Catholicism in that as I'm going through and, and looking at, at laws as my background, looking at constitutional history. So again, another history nerd, really big into the American Revolution and military history and warfare, and then going and saying, hey, where did this government come from, the United States, and uh, building that out in my head. And then as I'm starting to dialogue with Brian and, and uh, other individuals, I'm starting to ask questions, and then I'm getting these random truth bombs that just keep hitting to the point where now I'm like, okay, let me go check this. And as I start reading into... Clement of Rome, ordained by Peter himself, and he's writing to the church at Corinth a few years, probably 40 years-ish, 50 years after Paul wrote. Okay, well, that's really interesting. And then go find Ignatius of Antioch and Polycarp, and I'm reading them, and I'm like, all of a sudden, it's getting really real and, like, really fast. And as I'm going through, then, all of everything I've ever done and looking at all the things these guys are teaching in the universal church... Uh, it changed everything for me. So after that, this uh, almost shattering of myself occurs where no longer can I justify all this stuff. I have this massive like realization, neon lights, hey, nice guys, don't go to heaven. And whenever that all kind of set in, after that, it was sitting there saying, okay, how do I go and do this right? And what do I do now that I'm Catholic? And then trying to build all that in. So it took me probably going on two years, year and a half, something like that, to get everything all sorted out. I guess just under a year and a half to get my uh, catechism started, 
all of my work done in terms of annulments and that type of thing and having all these preconceptions as to what annulments mean and oh isn't it just like divorce and confession and working out all my problems to finally taking first sacraments and get my family in and and uh, man has it been an awesome transition but now then looking at all of it and the controversies that are swirling around what it means to be catholic right now it's more important than ever to learn about what the original church said and why those teachings are timeless there is no changing them it's not any there's nothing in any modern culture or any person that can possibly drive a change to the core teachings. Now, we can develop them because there are always issues, but we're not going to be able to go back and undo Christ saying, you have to go to Mass, you have to sacrifice my body, blood, soul, and divinity to the Father. Um, and in the end, like, we're all going to be soldiers in Christ. Paul said so. We're all going to have to follow in Christ's footsteps because that's what John and Peter said. And in the end, that means we're all going to suffer because that's what they all said, Christ included. Yeah. So our thing now is how do we go and take all of that, wrap everything together in terms of where we've come from, and we're here now to basically sit there and say, how do we take this information to Catholics, educate, enlighten, bring hope, and ultimately continue to facilitate and foster those things going forward. Well, I think the other thing you kind of brought up uh, earlier on is the idea that, uh, you know, not there's no one nation or, or ethnic group or race that has, um, that has you know, a monopoly on, on this truth that is the Catholic Church. And, and I just remember, again, where I grew up, you know, in the city I was in, was a large German Catholic population, a large Irish Catholic population. And that's essentially growing up what not only myself, but all my friends understood to be Catholic. It was like, oh, yeah, I'm German Catholic. Oh, yeah, I'm an Irish Catholic. Like, we're good. Boxes checked. And that's it. Because everyone's um, Catholic on St. So, Patty's Day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, well, it's one of those things where when you get challenged by, uh, you know, some of the big stuff, you know, arguing with a... a secularists on abortion like to, i never really struggle with that but when you come when i would come face to face with a a very well and extremely energized protestant challenging the faith i found myself woefully ill-equipped because i didn't even know with what they're accusing the, the church of on you well you all believe this i couldn't say if maybe maybe they're bluffing may, you know what i mean so it's like it's one of those things that, again, you start reading and it becomes a, it becomes a, a somewhat uh, addicting thing to just be like, oh man, they got me with, they got me with this one. Let me go back because I know that the church isn't wrong. I was wrong in that instance. Let me go make sure that didn't happen again. And so yeah, that's kind of where we're. I feel like the three of us are at is how do we address the various tenets of the faith to where a regular layperson, what we call it, you know, like a blue collar layperson can go out not only evangelize but also defend the faith when they're countered say at an awkward family get together or you know in the workspace or wherever it is i think you guys hit the nail right on the head i think the biggest enemy of the church today is what i think jake hit nailed it with the cultural catholics as i call them the ones that are raised with it barely know it don't understand it and they're as Pete went led on with terrible representatives of what it is to be Catholic because they just don't live it, yet they claim it at every turn. And when you look at the pews today, the, uh, the amount of or lack of men that you see, young men at least, in the pews is quite frightening. 
and I hate being on display sometimes in different parishes I visit because I just know it's going to get attention because I'm one of the rare breeds that are under 50 and manage to have children and you almost become like a showpiece. Uh, you better bet that they're going to want to bring the gifts up at some point. They're going to come right to my family. But at the same time, this is the reason why I think we're here because these guys, if you look at the spiritual order of things, uh, they just don't understand the power they have uh, when it comes to fighting the battle in not just on earth, but also in the spiritual dimension. And that's, it was never taught. It was just watered down. Yeah. Or the, uh, or being the, you know, the rare 20 something year old young man at church. So obviously because you're 20 something there at church by yourself, clearly you should be joining the seminary. You know, like that's, that's the classic comment. Ooh, when are you preaching? Like, what? Just cause I'm here at mass. Is that, that, odd for you to see a young man at mass like that he must be wanting to join the priesthood i think that's what we're looking to bring back here from the standpoint of we are soldiers in christ we're called to fight that warfare that you were talking about brian that if we go back to job talking about every human life being a warfare for some reason these days like this is a something the Protestants lack entirely. There's no organization. There's no structure. They're not prepared to fight a war. In the end, everyone, you know, every man for himself and all shooting in different directions and all throughout, you know, their own philosophies and just destroying each other. Meanwhile, then on the Catholic side, you have priests who are basically shirking their duties. You have other priests who are trying to hold it down, but trying to figure out what they can do to stay under the radar so that the bishop who actually doesn't feel the same way that you know, Christ and the apostles felt isn't going to go and shut him down. So in the meantime, what do we do? So our, we're here looking at how we can fight. And when I'm talking fight and not throwing fists, we're not the proud boys. Our goal here is to make sure that we're praying, asking for the saints to intercede on our behalf, at making sure that our not only our conscience would be clear, but our souls are clean of the sins and we are still living in Christ, therefore in states of grace. And that means when we call down, you know, artillery support, we're actually going to get a response. We can actually keep the uh, the bad guys off of us. So the only way to do that, though, is you have to, have to witness. You have to evangelize, and that's what we're doing. And that means to evangelize and to tell everyone, this is what it means to be Catholic. Uh, it means that uh, on these shows, uh, you should probably be expecting us that we're going to refute non-Catholic teachings, even if they otherwise claim to be Catholic, or we're going to use uh, people out there who claim to be uh, Christians, and they're going to go and name all sorts of nonsensical crap, like either Christ wasn't God for his entire life, or the Trinity uh, isn't a thing, so they're Unitarians, they believe that just there's one God, and, and just one person, or something weird, or, or then you could be like the Mormons and all their weird polytheistic nonsense. So the, overall, we have an obligation, because Christ is truth, to be 100% truthful in all that we say, no matter what. James tells us if we're wrong in even one point, uh, we're wrong in all of them. So our goal right now is to be 100% right. So always feel free to correct us. Anything we're going to do here, anything we're going to talk about, we're going to try to make sure we'll have those links for you guys to see in the uh, discussion block below in the, uh, the comments section as well. well. We'll be happy to comment back. But expect that our episodes are uh, potentially uh, be a little bit uh, controversial, and I wouldn't be surprised to see people get frustrated. So I can't guarantee that everyone listening is going to be happy all the time. So let's <laughs> we'll get that out of the way. Uh, our goal is the truth, uh, not good feelings. So Well, and the other thing is, too, that if I might interject real quick, because uh, just to dig, uh, develop something, what you're talking about, us as lay men, you know, and this isn't to exclude lay women, but, but we're coming at it from a male perspective. Um, 
so many times I see people, whether it's in conversation, Facebook comments, YouTube sections, wherever it is, oh, I'm not Catholic anymore because I, the, how bad the Pope is or how terrible, uh, you know, the, the, the priest abuse scandals are or one reason or the other. Well, may I remind people that we get the clergy that we deserve. So it's, it's, it's a cop out for us to say, oh, well, I don't want to do that anymore because clearly I don't have, you know, Joan of Arc leading the fight right now. You, we share just as much responsibility for the state of our church as the priests and bishops. Which is why we don't have St. Joan of Arc right now is because we're not pulling our weight. St. John Hughes exactly. is the one who actually exactly. made the commentary to sit there and say that we get the priests we deserve. So if you look at the quality of, of the education that's going amongst the laity, um, it's not good. And, and the problem is, is, first and foremost, before we even get into church, we're supposed to be living as Catholics 24-7. We are supposed to get up and pray and think about God and live our entire life seeking Christian virtue. And then, for all of us out there who are dads, our job is to make sure that I'm actually then talking to my wife and encouraging her, hey, let's live as Catholics, and are we doing this well? And she'll check me and my virtue, and I'll check her and her virtue. And then, surprise, we have to actually lead our families and educate them and tell them, no, that's wrong. That is objectively false. And that's the thing, too, being Catholic. We have the luxury of sitting there having the church behind us that can give us literally the objective truth, the only truth, the singular truth. This is not like I have an opinion and Brian's got an opinion and then some other people have some opinion and Jesus had an opinion. No, it's Jesus's opinion is the objective opinion and all of us share it. And his church right now holds that truth, which is what Paul told us in 1 Timothy 3.15, we have the verse there that the church is the pillar of the truth, and our job is to share it. And we hold dominion over our households, and going back to that order and that structure as soldiers, we have to take care of our families and lead them into this fight so they have a fighting chance to get out of it in one piece. I'd just like to yep. add, for anyone that's hearing this for the first time, don't be shocked, especially in modern American Catholics, uh, the church is correct and everyone else is not. So with that in mind, we're not attacking any particular person. You know, my grandmother was never a Catholic, and she was the best lady she could be throughout most of her life. I'm sure of it. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we don't try to evangelize. It doesn't mean that we don't try to refute the doctrines. As a, a very uh, tempered man once told me, we attack the, uh, the doctrines, not the people, since I tend to be uh, over-emotional at times and can get really spun up into a fight. Uh, Pete, on the other hand, is well-reasoned and uh, very articulate and tends to think through the, some of the clouds of emotion stuff. I have stuff. moments. You have a lot of them, way more <laughs> than me. But uh, just please keep that in mind as we go. Some of it will be controversial. Some of it will, maybe it's the first time you're ever hearing it. And truthfully, I wish I would have heard it initially, you know, over 10 years ago. It would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of headache, especially with dealing with some of, uh, some of the church folks that, as Jake kind of pointed out, don't live the life. And a lot of people conflate the faith with the, the fallible actions of man. And so we're not trying to point out the sins of others either, but we do have to try to point everyone to the truth that we've kind of hard fought and scratched for. And I want to make sure to, to emphasize here for everybody listening, people can be saved, all of them. I don't care whether we're talking about a Muslim. I don't care whether we're talking about an atheist. I don't care whether we're talking about a Protestant, a Mormon, a Satanist. It doesn't matter. You name the belief system, that man or woman can come around and yes, there's only a man or a woman, two genders, period, sorry, whatever. Kids. Yeah, sorry. Uh, every one of those souls can be saved in Christ, period, done. 
However, now that that's laid down, doctrines, on the other hand, are damnable and forever damnable. There's no correcting Islam. There is no correcting Protestantism. There is no correcting atheism or agnosticism or Buddhism or Hinduism or spiritual but not religious. All of that is nonsense that has no way to actually rectify with the commandments that were given by God. So we have to make sure that when we are talking as laymen, our job is to continue to reiterate the fact that Catholicism is truth, 100% of it. And anyone who is in that sphere who does not give the truth or know the truth, we have to go to them and help them to fix it because the church still holds the truth regardless of whether or not her prelates decide to walk away or her laity walk away as well. So in the end, people can be saved, doctrines cannot. So yes, it's not about feelings here. It's about the truth. And when I look at how I came into the faith, I would rather people come in in tears, again, speaking from my personal experience, and be totally dejected when it comes to looking at past sins in that initial look before you can take your first sacrament of confession than to stroll merrily along down the road to hell under your own power without anyone trying to go and stop. So we're here to sit there and however we can, throw up those uh, safety bumpers, throw out safety nets, throw down lines, whatever we got to do to pull people back out, that's what we're going to do. Um, the problem is, though, is along that road, as I was saying, doctrines are always damnable, and therefore anything that is truth must be divisive because it by nature rejects falsehood. So when we look at God's commandments and the precision in there, there's really not a lot of wiggle room. We may have a ton of different rights. I think it's something like 24 different rights within the Catholic Church in terms of different ways to practice the faith. So we see all manner of uh, cultural injections into Catholicism, but overall it's still the mass. The core components of worship are still present. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ are offered in every mass to God the Father. And all of us share in that one perfect sacrificial moment on Calvary when Christ gave himself to his Father. That is the beauty of what we believe as Catholics. And so now, how do we sit there and give that to other people so they can feel it with us, so they can partake in the Eucharist, the thanksgiving that uh, comes with his body, blood, soul, and divinity when we take it on our tongue and uh, get to consume that and be bonded with him. It's amazing. It's amazing. So in the end, it's worth so much that, I don't know, from our perspective, we're going to work tirelessly to make sure all that happens. So, Keep rocking it. Yeah, because the, the thing I wanted to also cover here is the fact that Christ needs, I shouldn't say needs, Christ wants men to help him spread the faith. This is not Christ meeting us by himself. If Christ was going to do every single thing by himself, he would have written the scriptures by himself. Christ did not need his apostles then to do anything if it was just Christ. Then Christ would have actually come to me himself in person to tell me I should be Christian, and he would take me by the hand to where I need to worship, and he would basically force it all on me because he could do it himself. That's not this faith. That is not Christianity. Christianity there are many actors and many players. We have angels that are out there sending messages and healing people and talking, clarifying, striking down entire armies and cities. Uh, they're out there doing many things, and God's angels are always at work. 
Meanwhile, he has his apostles that ultimately appointed bishops and started working out. We have priests, and then here we are, those laymen. We have a calling to make sure that we're out there educating and bringing people to the truth. That said, then, we look at all of those commandments and know it's a burden. It's a good burden, but this is what we have to do. If we waste the graces that we have, we know in the end we're going to have to account for all of those at judgment. So we can have an opportunity here to give any bit of information to people to help them find their way to become Catholic. Um, that's what we're going to try to work out. And when we're talking through what does it take to be a Catholic, uh, we're trying to make sure that we emphasize here again, it's not about your education. It's not about the books you read. It's not about that clothes you wear or the way that you cross yourself or the way that your mass is said or what language is used in that mass. In the end, we have to look at the fact that Christianity was spread throughout the world, crossing multiple cultural barriers, despite the fact that it was outlawed everywhere that it started. And you have thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and ultimately millions of martyrs that are, go for the past 2,000 years to spread this faith the world over. It's a tough job, but here we are doing whatever we can and bringing Catholicism to people. But again, it's about living that faith and being like Christ and knowing what it is to walk that road to Calvary with that cross on your shoulder. So overall, we're not going to use just the Bible. We're going to talk through the church traditions, church traditions being core to the Catholic faith. Yeah, I'll interject with, uh, this is another piece that kind of got blurred over the years, but it's about love. And true love is charity. And charity is hard. Charity, it, it sucks sometimes to have to kind of pull yourself up and to dig deep and to give uh, it, from the middle of the night to a baby that's crying to you know, the things that you do for others because it's the right thing to do because it is to will the good of another. It's to, to do the best for them. And it's nice to have these nice pious little platitudes like you know some church lady like, oh, it's all about love, which means we're just going to accept every error and all all manner of sin because, you know, who am I to judge? Or is it Christ is saying, I love you so much that I died for you, took thousands of blows, bled out for you, gave it all. And now is this a true relationship? Are you worthy of what he did? And it, you have, it's your time right now on planet earth, wherever you are, you've been given this set of circumstances to kind of prove your love, to, to go forth and step towards him as he stepped towards you. And because we're not, because the clouds didn't part and convert us as Pete was kind of going on, Christ could have done all of that, but he didn't. He's, he's letting you make the first move because an authentic relationship is not done under duress or fear. Uh, I mean, that's, that's how we train animals and, and like slaves and prisoners of war. Like that's just not what we are. You know, we're called to something greater and there's so many parallels to marriage we could get into, which would be you know, a whole probably another episode. But you know, where are you in your life, and where are you in this relationship? And don't let uh, an effeminate version of this kind of taint your look on what authentic Christian love is, and what is a you know true masculinity in this regard. Yeah. So two points um, there about the idea of uh, if Christ wanted to do it himself he would have just done it he you know he wouldn't have asked another i think it's a a distinctly it all ties together but it's this distinctly protestant idea that you know christ is my friend uh jesus is my buddy and while jesus loves us unconditionally he is a king 
He has a court of angels. He has, he has his he has his administrators here on earth. He works through those people. He doesn't just do it all himself, micromanaged style. And I think it's important to to understand that, like in Catholicism, we have a hierarchy, and that turns a lot of people off to the idea of Catholicism because we've been fed this this really bad garbage secularism that hierarchies are inherently elitist in nature and so it's just one of those things where you gotta you gotta look at it and be like hey there's a hierarchy there's a structure in place is how god wanted it you fit into that structure wherever you fit in uh and it's not a bad thing just because you have people above you it takes it takes some of the burden off of you you're not in it alone you have people below you that means you have responsibility it's again it's the accountability thing throughout catholicism that we're called to continuously act upon that is a, a core tenet of our of our faith of how things operate so yeah i was just throwing that in there the jesus yes he loves you but he's not he's not your bunkmate he's not your buddy and also people shouldn't you shouldn't dislike the idea of somebody telling you what to do somebody holding you to to uh feet to the fire for uh lack of a better phrase yeah and with with christ being king he is by nature divine which would make him elite <laughs> that's okay <laughs> like, yep. we're, we're not supposed to be god we're just supposed to understand who god is understand what we owe to god in terms of none of this would exist without him and that we have a lot of work to do and now before we go and get all the protestants who are going to sit there and be like you just said we're going to work it's all about works what i am going to say is it's about grace absolutely essential nothing is possible without grace however without our will there is no way for us to actually receive any of that grace therefore all the works that are done as jesus says you can do no good without me we have to accept the yeah. fact that when we accept his will and accept his grace it comes with obligations now that my will must be dedicated to christ and all of a sudden my mind and my hands and my mouth all become his to do what he wills of them in the end then he when he finally comes to it at the end when i'm dead he has to judge and say how did you use those hands i gave you when i empowered them and gave you the grace to do great things with them what did you do did you go and tell people the way that i wanted you to live or did you just waste your time and just you know decide ah, i want to play video games and drink some beer and whatever i don't even care man it's it's all going to come back and i think then like we've talked about the whole time that really without laity stepping up and doing our job we're going to have bad priests <laughs> we're going to have bad families we're going to have bad catholics and in the end as the world goes the way that it goes as corrupted and messed up as it is we will be unable to find joy in it and unable to find peace and comfort unable to give that to our families and unable to give it to any of our loved ones or friends whenever they fall in hard times because we're not going to be ready to deal with it ourselves we're going to try to argue with god and say well it should have been like that it should have been like this versus you know maybe look at it like christ did and don't complain when you're on your way to calvary and when you're on that cross so if we can just grit our teeth and bear it, toughen up like soldiers. You just got to go through the muck. You got to get shot at. You're going to get wounded along the way. And in the end, as long as you have faith in God and you ultimately decide charity and virtue are your way, all of those things together will ensure that you're going to be healed. You're going to accept the sacraments. You're going to be able to walk the next step. And every single challenge that comes up, God is going to give us the grace 
and the power to apply our wills and our intellect to do great things on his behalf. So if yep. we do our job, we end up with good priests, good bishops, a good church, good life. It, that's a lot to look yeah, forward we, to. We don't, get to. we don't get to buck the authority, break down the chain of command, uh, refuse the structure that's been put in place by God himself to make the world as he intended it. We don't get to, to deny all that and then also turn around and blame everything on the people uh, above us that we you know, denied the authority of. You can't have it both ways. So what does it mean to be Catholic? God. It means obedience. It means a lot of work. It means uh, complete submission to God's will. Yes. And only in that action will we receive not only justice, but mercy, and ultimately all the healing that we need to be good Catholics. So for all of you guys who are listening, thank you for all of the time you've put in to actually hear us out in terms of where we're going and what you're going to see in the uh, upcoming episodes. Uh, stay tuned. Our next episode we're going to work on is going to be the uh, Baltimore Catechism, starting in at uh, Lesson 1 and the Baltimore Catechism 3. So we're going to start uh, using the uh, 1940s version by uh, Father Cannell. And uh, so if you want to follow along, add uh, your questions, concerns, thoughts, whatever, uh, build those in, because uh, by comparison with everything we're seeing today, the uh, modern catechisms made in the past 20 years are garbage. There's a little bit of them that actually may be useful, but it is so convoluting all the facts, it's really hard to find. So if you're coming to the faith or you want to learn about Catholicism, the old ways are the best ways. So at least from the standpoint of what it is in the United States, the Baltimore Catechism is kind of the core of uh, the Catholic faith here in terms of teaching it and uh, introducing and coming into the church. So we're going to start down that road. Um, we thank you for all your time. And uh, all I can say now before we cut out is uh, St. Joseph, pray for us. Pray for us. <laughs>